Well, good morning, Redeemer, and happy Easter to you. Now, I'm not just off a week, you know, because I wasn't with you last week. It is the season of Easter. The church from early days found a great wisdom, though, though we are always resurrection people, though every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. The early church said, you know, we need a season to celebrate the wonders, much like the season in which Christ kept appearing over and over again, after he had been raised from the dead, before he ascended on high, a season to revel in the wonders of Easter. You know, in our part of the church, the Reformed and Presbyterian, we love the cross. And amen that we do, as Paul said, I want to know nothing in some senses among you except Jesus Christ in him crucified. And that is wonderful. But for the church in Acts, all they seem to talk about was the resurrection. Paul preached so much on the resurrection, for instance, in Athens, that he thought he was talk- they thought he was talking about two gods, Jesus and the resurrection. So it is good for us to have a season of Easter to revel in. We're going to spend our Easter with Luke looking at stories of the resurrection from Luke. Matt did an amazing job preaching on Easter on the, the early morning, the empty tomb. Now we go to Luke's Easter afternoon story. Uh, the, maybe the best of Easter stories, the two walking to Emmaus, the first people in Luke here are Cleopas and his unnamed friend to meet the risen Jesus, to see him. May we see him as we hear his word read now. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Hear the word of the Lord. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with him. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our own company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive." Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses And all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, your blessed Son made himself known in the breaking of the bread and by the opening of the scriptures to the two on the way to Emmaus on Easter afternoon. Father, in your kindness, Spirit, in your power, Would you do the same for us today? Risen Christ, would you open the eyes of our faith that we may see you with us even now as risen Lord, as the word is read, as we pray, as we are around one another, as your needy children, as we come soon to your table, may we see you, Jesus, this day. And may our faith be renewed now and forever. We pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, we've had a lot of death in our lives lately. There's COVID across the last several years. I'm sure that almost every one of us either knows someone closely who's died of COVID or have a friend who's lost someone close to them. Of COVID. I remember in the very first days in March of 2020, when this thing was brand new, when we didn't know anything really about it, when we're trying to pretend like it wasn't real back in Georgia, almost in some ways, uh, one of Fran's closest friends died. Angela lost her husband in the first weeks of the COVID outbreak. And I can remember standing outside of her home, down on the ground, she on her porch, we all masked, but crying with her and praying with her even from a distance. There's the COVID deaths. There, there's the horrible death of last summer here, 53 people in a tractor trailer outside of San Antonio, abandoned, trying to get into the United States and abandoned and murdered as a group there inside of that tractor trailer. There were the horrible shootings in Uvalde at the school there. You know, I was walking along my street in Monta Vista Friday morning, really early before coming down here for an event in the morning. And uh, it was about 6 a.m., but I stumbled kind of across a conversation at the end of my street. And uh, it was a man saying, yeah, I just got back into town early this morning, and I'll be here for a day. And I, I'm, I live in Uvalde six days a week. I'm a part of a legal team that's working on that $27 billion class action suit um, against the authorities. And he was just kind of talking about that flippantly, not to condemn him at all, but trying to deal with this reality that this was his job to deal with this remembrance of this tragic death 
and it reminded me of the death we'd suffered in our congregation in Los Angeles, a 25-year-old former RUF intern dying suddenly. Izzy, this woman, young woman, full of life, just gone. It reminded me of a friend who sat right here on my right, your left, about a month ago who was here visiting us, our first house guest in San Antonio who lost his wife three months ago, one of Fran's closest friends, a PCA pastor, losing his wife tragically in the middle of life. There's a lot of death, right? A lot of death. There's, there are times when we can pretend like it's not there, where we can kind of numb it away, or we can kind of amuse ourselves away from it. But it's like the quote of Tolstoy there in your bulletin. He talks about, you know, sort of in the middle of my life, I got haunted by these series of questions. You know, what, what am I going to do that will outlast death? Is there anything that I'm doing now or that I will do that will have any meaning at all in the face of death? How can I functionally go on in the face of death? Kind of this space of road for Tolstoy almost made him turn to suicide because he was so gripped and paralyzed by these questions around death. What do we do as Christians around all of this death? We turn to the risen Jesus. We turn not just to the reality of the empty tomb, but experiencing the risen Jesus. Jesus can help us, and only He can help us. Only He. As Yaroslav Pelikan, the Lutheran minister and famous professor at Yale University on Christian history, said, if Jesus is not risen, nothing else matters. But if Jesus is risen, nothing else truly matters. This is everything. This is this is the watershed point, not only in history, but in all of our lives. So we not only need all that we got last week from Luke, right, about the reality of the empty tomb. We need to see Jesus risen. We need to experience him. As, as Tim Keller has said beautifully, we all need the other side of Easter. Beyond the hard edges of his reality, we need the soft part of Easter. The experience of the risen Jesus. We need to see him. This story for Luke is him showing us how we even now can see the risen Jesus in the face of all this death. I want you to think about four ways with me this morning. They're printed for you there in the bulletin about how we can see the risen Jesus. First, consider that the hope of Easter is that we see the risen Jesus as we express our needs to him. As we express our needs to him. How does this story begin? We've got two people, Cleopas, who is named, his companion is unnamed. Many speculate it is his wife, but she or he is unnamed, this unnamed person. They are walking a seven-mile journey, the text says, to Emmaus, this little village outside of Jerusalem. We actually don't know exactly where Emmaus is even to this day. There are various sites that are speculated on about it. But we don't know exactly where, where Emmaus is. And so these two are taking what will be probably a three-hour, a three-hour-plus walk on the afternoon of Easter, pondering all these things. And what does the text tell us? 
They are sad. They are confused. They are struggling with belief about the word they've heard from the women who saw the empty tomb and got the message from the angels. So they're lacking faith. They're confused. They're sad. They have great needs on Easter afternoon. And into that need is where Jesus appears. If you think about all the places where Jesus shows up after Easter, right, it's always into need. Who's the first person that seems to see him that we know about at length? Mary Magdalene. And she's just weeping with this overwhelming sadness, right? I need the one who delivered me from the demons. I need the one who forgave me all my past, who gave me hope. I need him. And in her sadness, in her weeping, the risen Christ appears to her and calls her by name, right? There's then the disciples, and we'll go to this story next week, in the upper room on Easter night, gathered together, right? And they're in fear. They lock the doors, for the fear of the Jews, they're staying hemmed in even as they're beginning to process the reality of Easter because of fear. And then there's the next Sunday, the Sunday we're on, where, where Jesus comes back just for Thomas, just for Thomas, into the upper room. Why? Not because his faith is so strong, but because his faith is so weak and he doubts and he's crying out, I need to see these things to be sure. And Jesus comes just for him. Then there's the seven who go out fishing, right? Weeks later, they don't know what to do. Peter says, let's just all go fishing. Yeah, yeah, we'll go with you, Peter. And they're just drifting out on the lake. It's a picture of their lives adrift. And Jesus calls them to shore and gives them hope and purpose in him. And then, right, there's Peter himself. Jesus walks with him after feeding the breakfast and says to Peter, I'm going to overcome your shame and your guilt with your privilege to now talk about your love for me, your denials of me. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. I don't know the man. Can be written over with, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus is always appearing to people with their needs. What are your needs this Easter? Jesus wants you to express them to him. Maybe you're overcome by all of this death or all of this violence. Maybe you're overcome by uh, problems in your family, in your marriage with your children or with your parents. Maybe you're overcome by a vocational challenge or being without a job right now or just you're overwhelmed with loneliness or doubt. Maybe you're processing even what you believe about Easter in a fresh way and it's undoing you, right? Jesus wants you to express this to Him and He wants you to see Him there in that space. He wants to come to you in that space. You know, for me, this Easter season, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of got this need. I'm 60 now. Three quarters of my life is probably over if I'm fortunate. I've just taken on a new big job, an exciting job, while trying to finish an old job. Uh, and it feels like a lot. And I've got lots of friends with a lot of grief in their lives. And I just need Jesus to come there 
and encouraged me. And I've been crying out to him. And he has. Express your needs to him. You'll see him there. So we see the risen Christ as we express our needs for him. Secondly, you'll see the risen Christ as you live in community with the people of his church. Isn't it interesting that these two are together, Cleopas and this unnamed friend, and they're walking together. They almost represent every Christian. You know, one of them is even unnamed, and, and they're going to a village. We don't know exactly where it is, right? It's almost like they're every man and every woman who's a Christian. But the key for them, right, is they are processing these things together. They identify, right, even as they're talking to Jesus without recognizing him, as part of a company, as a part of a whole group of people looking for Jesus. And they talk about two of the women who have seen things about him, but they're not sure what to make of that but they still identify with this band, this company, as Luke calls it. Every time around Easter, Jesus appears to people in groups, right? The disciples in the upper room on the first week, or they, when he comes back just for Thomas and the whole group the next week, when he's out with the seven fishing, when he appears to more than 500 people at once that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, right? Or if it's two individuals, with Mary Magdalene or with Peter, it's always so that they can go and tell the group, they can go and benefit the group with what they have seen for Jesus. It's in the corporate life of the church that we see the risen Christ. Now, when you've got struggles, when you've got doubts, when you've got needs, not just at Easter time or any time, right? What is our tendency of our heart's of our whole being, right? It is to withdraw. It is to pull back. And that tendency is part of a universal human brokenness. And the evil one loves to play on that. When you are most hurting, when you are most needy, you are going to be most tempted to withdraw from the fellowship of the life of the church. And that is when you most needed. I can remember it was about two years ago. We were early in our stretch in Los Angeles. It was hard. The sledding was hard in the church there and trying to help see the church just survive, much less be renewed. And it was a Friday night. It was about seven o'clock. Um, and I was trying to finish my sermon and I was only halfway through and I knew I had to get up for a 6.30 a.m. Zoom call with a group back east on Saturday morning of all times. And I was just depressed, horribly depressed. And I, I can vividly remember this. I wrote a text to two of my closest friends, a church planter friend in Georgia and an elder in a church in Tennessee who's walked with me across decades. And I wrote them both, and I said, Chris and Clay, um, it's Friday night. It's after 7. I'm not even halfway done with this sermon. I have to get up at about 5.30 to do a 6.30 a.m. Zoom call on a Saturday. I have just eaten some horrendous food in hopes that would make me feel better, and it hasn't. Would you please help me and pray for me? Because I'm dying here, and I'm weak, and I need Jesus to come. 
And they both responded with text and with calls. And Jesus beautifully appeared in their loving care for me. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. The person who led an underground church and an underground seminary movement in Germany during World War II, who came back from the United States, who was a native German, was studying and teaching here in the United States, went back as Hitler was ascending into power to go and serve in all of that, which would ultimately lead to his own martyrdom right before the Allies liberated Germany. And Bonhoeffer famously said, true Christian fellowship is when others around me in the body of Christ believe the gospel for me more than I can in that space and time. I need the body of Christ around me to help me believe. We need at times borrowed faith from each other. We need encouragement from each other. And Jesus appears there. The risen Christ appears as we express our needs to him, as we live in community, waiting for him and watching for him. Thirdly, the risen Christ appears in the breaking of the bread. It's not till they get all the way to Emmaus. It's not till the two beg him to come inside with them and stay with them. And they sit at table and Jesus takes bread and blesses it and breaks it and gives it to them that they see him. Luke is using the very same language he uses to describe the institution of the Lord's Supper a couple of chapters earlier, the same language that all the gospel writers use. He's saying that somehow this meal with the risen Jesus, with Cleopas and his friend, how they see Jesus there is how we see Jesus in communion. I'm so thankful this church practices weekly communion because there are things that you need every week. Matt, Bryant, Victor, others, myself included, we will seek to preach from full, the fullest hearts, from the best study, from the most prayer that we can bring you every week from God's Word. But there will need to be for you experiences beyond the teaching, beyond the intellectual. There will need to be mystical experiences for you every week. And I love that this is where our church is with the historic flow of the Christian church across the ages, that this meal is where we see Jesus. We see Jesus broken for us. We see, as it were, the scars in his side and in his hands and in his feet in this bread given for us and in this cup poured out for us. We see the full extent of his love here. I love what F.B. Meyer says. Scotty Smith passed along this quote this week in his little uh, regular posting for pastors and friends. And he said, he quoted F.B. Meyer. And F.B. Meyer said, the love of God toward you is, as it were, 
the whole of the Amazon River flowing down to just water one daisy. This meal shows you that. The Son of God took on human flesh to die for you in His resurrection glory in the one who is proving to us what the whole mended and renewed world will look like, he still had those scars. And we see those scars in communion. And we begin to know more of the full extent, the height and the depth, the breadth and the width of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. The first um, missionary meal that I did after graduating seminary I went to work for Reform University Ministries at Auburn University as a campus minister. And, and I was invited to preach at a church up in Birmingham and then to meet with their missions committee, to ask them to pray about giving to our work at Auburn. And so I preached my best little new seminary graduate sermon and, and then met with the committee. And, and this meal, I will never, ever forget it. My wife is delightful as always, right? We're young people in our 20s. We have our little baby girl who's one year old with us. And we arrive at this home and um, the woman has, has just gotten new carpet. So she puts, keeps the kind of plastic covering over the carpet underneath even the dining room table. And she set this lovely table out there and she's put china everywhere, her best china at every setting, including on the high chair for my daughter. I'm thinking, how long has it been since you had a child in the home? Like, this is crazy. But during the meal as she serves, it's so sad. She never sits down once. She never visits with us. She literally is either serving food or getting down on her hands and knees underneath the table to pick up crumbs under the table. She did it under my daughter's high chair, but she did it most under my chair. And, you know, subtly, I know she didn't mean it, but what did I take from that meal? Paul, you are an idiot. Paul, you don't even know how to eat right. Paul, what are we even thinking about doing supporting you in mission? You got nothing, man. What this meal says to you is, you may have nothing, but you have everything with And I delight in you. I am bending down to give you the weight of the whole Amazon River, the whole flow of that in terms of my love for you. We see Jesus there and we rejoice. We see the risen Christ as we express need, as we live in community, as we enjoy the breaking of bread at table with him at his table. And lastly, as the scriptures are open to us, what do the two say immediately after they've been at table? Didn't our hearts burn within us on the way as he talked to us about everything in the scriptures that pointed to his coming, to his death and resurrection? Oh, foolish ones, he says, and how slow to believe. Did you not know that everything in Moses and the prophets were there to show you what must happen to the Christ? And then this text says specifically, he began to show them everything from all the scriptures. All the scriptures. 
the wonder of his resurrection. Why do we want you in your Bibles as your pastors and as your shepherds, as your elders? Not to guilt you, not to give you something else to do in already radically full days. To let you see Jesus, to let your hearts burn within you. When's the last time your heart burned within you? Over Jesus. Over his resurrection. When's the last time all of this made you want to weep with joy or with hope? All of this is to give you hope. Remember that all of the Bible, every single part of it, I, I hope you're experiencing this. I'm sure you've experienced it across you know, the 20 years of Tom's amazing ministry. You're experiencing it with Matt's and Victor's teaching across the years and Bryant now. Our prayer is just that we can show you Jesus in all of the scripture who died and rose again to fill you with the life and the love of God. I want your hearts to burn within you. I want to pray as your pastor that your hearts would burn within you, even today as we come to this table, having seen the risen Christ. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. You remember that, right? The slogan from Friday Night Lights, right? Coach Eric Taylor, right? Dillon High School, East Dillon High School. Clear eyes, full hearts, you cannot lose. It's kind of the theme of the show, right? That we need to see clearly what life is really about. Our hearts become renewed and full as we do, and we move forward into paths of victory. You know, Mitt Romney tried to kind of co-opt that right for his presidential campaign. Connie Britton from Friday Night Lights did not like that. I don't know if Connie would like me co-opting it, but here we go. Clear eyes, seeing the risen Christ, full hearts, burning within us at table and word together as we live in community, as we express our needs we cannot lose. We step forward in the hope and life of the resurrection of Jesus who gives us hope in every place. Let's pray together. Lord Christ, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the privilege we have to see you as risen Lord, that we can live on the other side of Easter. Lord, please, today even, come among us. May we see you in our confusion, in our sadness, in our doubt, in our pain, in our grief, in our suffering, in our drifting, in our shame, in our guilt, would you come and may we see you and would you minister to us? Would we help one another see you? Would we see you now as we approach the breaking of the bread and may our hearts burn within us? We pray this all, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.